The title of tonight's uh, subject matter is From Powerless uh, to Powerful, Living a Stronger Christian Life, or the subtitle that, that uh, Chris told you this morning is something to do with some biblical remedies for us when we feel powerless as Christians. And I don't know about you, I've felt powerless at times. I heard an interesting statistic recently, and it said that 95% of all of the electric cars that were ever produced are still on the road. The other 5% finally made it home. <laughs> but maybe you felt that way at one time or another. You felt powerless. Your battery was run down. And in spite of the fact that you love the Lord, that you're a Christian, you care about uh, the, the Lord deeply, and you attend church, and you're part of a Bible study group, and you volunteer, and you do all kinds of things. Sometimes we ask ourselves, you know, what's wrong? I feel so run down. I'm exhausted. It, what, did I, what mistakes have I made? And so in spite of our love for Jesus, we struggle. You might relate to your career or your finances or your health or your marriage or your former marriage or your current friendships or your family, your spiritual life. Many of us, I know, resonate with this wonderful scripture from Romans 7, 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. We are very aware most of the time of our human failings and our weakness. My paternal grandfather, Eli Kramer, was a bricklayer and a stonemason and a farmer. And he was a preacher, too. And he wasn't a very big guy, but he had forearms like Popeye. He was so strong. And I remember as a child, he, w he would get me to cross my hands like this. I was about eight or nine years old. And he would grab my wrists in his one big meaty hand, and then he would hold on, and I would try to get loose. I thought it was great fun initially. And then he would harry on a conversation as if I wasn't even there. And he was a powerful, physically powerful man. And I found that sort of amusing as a child, but then sometimes he would hold on too long, and I was frustrated by it, and, and it hurt, and I wanted him to let go. But I felt powerless myself. I was handcuffed by his strength. And I sometimes have felt that way as an adult as well. I want to be empowered in my relationships, in my friendships, in my walk with Christ, in my work. And sometimes I have felt powerless and I've been resentful of that. And, and maybe you have had that similar experience. Of course, the power my grandfather had was a physical power. And it diminished as he got older. He was diagnosed with cancer in his mid-60s. And he eventually was so weak that he could hardly even lift his arms, let alone squeeze my wrists. The lasting power that stayed with him until his death was his love for God and his recognition that the Lord would walk through him with this, through this dark valley. On his deathbed, moments before he died, my aunt told me that he sat up in bed and in a strong and loud voice declared the beauty of what he was seeing and thanking God and praising him. And interestingly enough, Literally, just a few moments earlier, he had, under his own physical power, been able to even lift his head to have a sip of water. But my grandfather knew where his strength and power came from. Psalm 121 reminds us, I will, verses 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. 
This is also another reminder, like Paul said, that strength is made great in weakness. And when I admit I am powerless on my own, that my strength doesn't come from me, it is only then that I can find a true source of power and strength. Each one of us need to get to a point in our lives where we admit that we are powerless on our own, that we cannot help ourselves. We are stuck. We're like that guy with one foot nailed to the floor. You ever seen that? You know, and he thinks he's going somewhere and he's doing one of these. Not very powerful. And some of us have done things like that. We're going in circles thinking we're stronger than we really are. And so tonight I want to look at five things, and I'm going to be quick doing this, five things that contribute to and keep you stuck in powerlessness, and then we're going to look at some scriptural antidotes. Now, my wife reminded me that there's a lot more than five, and so I want you to know that this isn't a comprehensive, complete list, but five big ones that I think are important. Number one is pride. Have you ever noticed that pride and ignorance sometimes go hand in hand? They're they're sometimes related. Proverbs 29.23 reminds us that one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly, or some translations say humble, in spirit will obtain honor. So have you ever refrained from asking for help, for advice, for assistance, because your pride said, I don't want people to think I'm weak or stupid or helpless? I have. I've tried to do things on my own at different times, and there were people, good Christian people, who would support, encourage, and help me, but I thought, I can't ask. That's not okay. I've got an image to keep up here. I doubt very much if most of you have done that, but maybe you know someone who has. And it's not a good look. It's not, it's not a godly thing to do. When in your life you've needed physical help or emotional support or spiritual guidance, but you've been stubborn, have you ever stopped to think it is a gift to others to let them help you? My mother reminded me of that one day. She said, Jonathan, when you help other people, how do you feel? And I said, I feel good. I feel like God is working through me. It's wonderful. And she said, how dare you keep other people from having that experience by being selfish and prideful and not letting them help you? My mom's a smart lady. And that was helpful to me. God wants to help you, and he helps you through the body, through other people. And do you think you know better than the creator of the universe, the one who grew you and built you and designed you and sustains you? You probably don't. And by the way, if you are prideful in this way, that you think other people should be mind readers and know when you have a problem and should be able to come to you and just offer help without you asking, that's prideful too, and it's not very helpful. Give your head a shake if you do that. That's your pride and sense of self-importance getting right out of control. It's like you're saying to yourself, well, they should know because I'm important. Number two, Old regrets and resentments, the past, is such an anchor to powerlessness. The truth is, each one of us has history. We have made mistakes. We've sinned and we've done things that have hurt ourselves and others in some way, sometimes in major ways. And all of us have been hurt by others, sometimes intentionally, sometimes inadvertently. Living in the past and being stuck in that self-recrimination 
and unforgiveness for ourselves or others is toxic. It drains your spiritual batteries and the people you love. It hurts them too. It's detrimental to your spiritual walk and your relationship with Jesus. Have you or someone you know done something that was sinful, vile, deceitful, harmful, maybe all of the above? And years later, you're still harboring guilt and shame for it or resentment towards someone else? Well, what does the Bible say about this? The Bible in 1 John 1, 9, you all know this scripture. If we confess our sins, he, the Lord, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Jeremiah 31, the prophet is sharing God's words about the forgiveness of sins. And the Lord declares through Jeremiah, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What a beautiful promise. And that same statement is echoed in Hebrews chapter 10. There are many other passages in the Bible that remind us that when we confess, when we repent, God forgives us. It's as if our sins never happened, as if the slate is wiped clean. The question then becomes, if God has forgiven me and removed this sin of the past or the resentment I've held, what right do I have to hold on to it? Do I know something God doesn't? Probably not. It's not a very wise thing to do. And it will drain the power that the Holy Spirit wants to, wants to pour through you. Sometimes our resentment and anger is towards another person. We carry unforgiveness around with us. In Ephesians 4, we are reminded, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That's Ephesians 4, 26, 27. So have you ever done that? Have you held resentment towards others? Has this helped or hindered your spiritual growth when you've done so? Remember, pride is also part of this. and It keeps you from just letting that stuff go. There's that old saying that many of you have heard that being angry and resentful towards someone else is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. The third thing that saps your power is worry. None of you have ever done that, have you? Worried? Worry can be a sign that we are focusing on the wrong things. Charles Spurgeon summed this up beautifully more than a century ago. He said, we are prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. That really spoke to me when I first read it a few months ago. Well, well, you might say, Jonathan, I have lots of things to worry about. You know, I've got kids or teenagers, my family, my finances. I've got health issues. I'm worried about the future, the government, uh, work, legal issues, other people's opinions, my living situation. Uh, there's lots of things I could worry about. So what I'd like you to do right now is think of one thing that you do worry about. Just think of it. Just call it to mind. And I would like to take 10 seconds, and we're just going to worry together quietly for 10 seconds. Okay, just worry. Please, please worry. Well, that's 10 seconds you're never going to get back, isn't it? It's, uh, it's not very productive, is it? 10 seconds of worry 
The only thing that's changed about the thing that you're worrying about is maybe your blood pressure's a little higher or your heart's beating faster because you were worrying. So I'd like to create a little scenario of how this sometimes happens, how we extrapolate one worry into something big. So let's, this, this guy, we're going to call him uh, Rob. Rob's a young Christian man, and he's single, and he's not in a relationship, and he'd like to be in a relationship. And so he thinks to himself, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should start going to young adults, and maybe I'll meet somebody, and it'd be really nice, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of shy, and I don't meet people easily, but maybe I'd meet somebody, and we could start dating, and who knows, we might fall in love, that'd be nice, I'm not very lucky, but yeah, maybe I will. And uh, we fall in love, and we get engaged, we get married, and after we're married, uh, you know, we both have jobs, that'd be good, yeah, save a little bit of money, and even in this climate, maybe we can buy a condo, that'd be good, and keep going to church, yeah, that's nice, but you know, you know, with my luck and the economy the way it is, we get married like that, and it's the likelihood I'll probably get downsized, because I'm, I'm a young guy, so I'll get downsized from my job. And then eventually we won't be able to pay the mortgage. And we have to move into our mom and dad's basement. So we move into the basement. And we're living there. And I get depressed. You know, I get depressed easily. I'll just get depressed. I won't be able to look for work. And my wife's going to get really annoyed and, and irritated with me. And her parents are going to be putting pressure on me. And eventually my wife's going to just say, it's over. She's going to divorce me. That's what will happen. And next thing you know, I'm going to be living in the car, just me and the dog. And eventually, I might even get arrested for vagrancy and go to jail. They'll impound my car. That's terrible, and I'll be living on the streets. No, I don't think I want to get married. And the thing is, Rob doesn't have a dog, a girlfriend, a wife, or a house. He's worrying about things that haven't happened, and probably won't. And I don't know about you, but I have talked to people, actually I've maybe talked to a few people in this room, who do catastrophize, maybe not quite that extremely, but they blow things out of proportion. Worry is at one level a sign that we're not trusting the Lord. Worry saps whatever personal energy that God has given you and it will sabotage the work of the Holy Spirit who wants to flow life and power through you. In Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul prescribes a wonderful solution for fear, anxiety, and worry, something that will empower you with a strength the Holy Spirit makes available to each one of us who believes. We just have to accept it. And so I'm going to read this very familiar passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. By the way, I'm reading from the CSB. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, Think on these things, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy. And what promise does this bring when you do that? Later in the same passage, Paul writes, and the God of peace will be with you. 
That's something to strive for, isn't it, instead of worry? And so are you focusing on what is commendable and praiseworthy and pure and lovely and honorable and true? Are you doing that or are you focusing on what's wrong, what's missing, and worrying about it? Number four. Four is isolation. Do you isolate yourself from others? Let's say that there's this woman, Beth. She's feeling stressed and lonely, and she's been doing really well with some of her habits. She's been going to church, attending her recovery meetings, and sharing with other women in her small group. She has a, smart, a support team. She's been struggling with eating issues. And so she's been eating healthily and has managed to reduce a few pounds and feeling fitter and more positive. But for a few days, she has a setback at work. Her car breaks down. There's an altercation with a co-worker. She gets a nasty text from a cranky family member. And so she's very discouraged. And so with these discouraging thoughts in mind, on her way home from work, she stops at the grocery store. She buys a bunch of chocolate and bunch of junk food and soft drinks, and she goes home, turns the lights down low, has a pity party, turns off her phone, puts on some sad music, and eats herself into a stupor, and then feels sick. Notice that this was a choice she made. Isolation is a choice. And what could she have done differently? If she would have picked up her phone, or sent a text, or asked someone to pray with her, or meet her for coffee, or gone to a service... She could have had some victory in this situation. Instead, she chose powerlessness. And we do that sometimes, don't we? God puts other people in our lives, but we must be willing to engage. Notice how pride is part of this as well. What will people say when I admit I'm having a bad day? Well, they say, welcome to the club, most likely. By the way, before we get all judgy about Beth and her poor choices around food... We could substitute drugs, pornography, alcohol, gambling, socializing, social media, uh, social media, compulsive sports watching, etc., etc., etc. Proverbs 18:1 says, "Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment." Does this sound like anyone you know? Are you seeking out Christian friends who will encourage and challenge you? As Kelly mentioned this morning, are you grafted into the body of the church? Do you have people that you can reach out to when you're struggling? If you don't, foster those relationships. It's vitally important. And number five is the most important one on my list here. It's separation from God. I've shared some of this particular story with some of you before, I know. I think I used it in my Christian ed class a couple of weeks ago. I spoke to a lovely man from this church, longtime member, wonderful guy. And I'd been doing some reading about how people approach reading Scripture. And uh, do they just read it out of rote, or do they try to think of how it applies to their day or their current situation? So I asked him about this. I said, do you do it out of duty, or do you try to make it personal in some way? And his reply was something like this. Oh, I'm not much of a reader. I don't read the Bible or anything else. That's why I come to church. And I literally did not know what to say. Have you ever heard somebody say, God doesn't talk to me? I just don't hear him. He doesn't speak with me. I read the Bible. Nothing happens. Maybe you've heard something similar to that. Well, so here are some $5 million questions 
for all of us. Do you spend as much time in Bible reading and prayer or reading good Christian books as you do watching sports or Netflix or YouTube or scanning social media? Does your spare time include everything else but your devotions and your spiritual walk? Do you spend more time working out in the gym than working out in your spiritual life? How committed are you to having a relationship with Jesus that is more than a nodding acquaintance? One and done, I'm here Sunday morning, that's good. Or have you used your stunted relationship with God as an emergency hotline? Dial 911, help me, Jesus. Some people do that, don't they? They wait till there's a crisis, then they look for help. And if you treated your human relationships like that, how healthy would they be? The thing is, God will put up with this even when your family and friends wouldn't. But that doesn't mean it's a wise idea. So do you want to experience the real power of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life and helping you and guiding your, your decisions and your every act? Then you need to develop that strong relationship with the Lord. You need to lean on Him. Study Scripture. Pray. Participate in a Bible study. Attend church even when you'd rather stay home. Make these an A1 priority as if your life depended on it because it actually really does. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7 uh, contains a wonderful promise. Paul was talking to his young, uh, his young charge, Timothy, and writing to him. And he said, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And get this, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and good judgment. Some, uh, some translations say a sound mind or self-control. In closing, I want you to remember these five mind-numbing power suckers that we've talked about this evening and their remedies. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give the name of, of that particular power sucker and then I read a scripture that goes with it. And by the way, I think working on these is part of mind renewal. Number one, pride. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Number two is old regrets and resentments. Ephesians 4.31.32 says, let all bitterness, anger, and warmth, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Number three, worry. Philippians 4.6 Don't worry about anything, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Number four, isolation. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. And five, separation from God. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. That's the Holy Spirit. So through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, you have been set free. And so will you claim that freedom? Claim the power that comes with that. It's not your power. We are powerless on our own. But we have a power giver, the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us as Christians. Let's allow him to flow through us and take that into the world around us as ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray.